Hey, you guys, it's your girl, Ashley Tamar, and I'm on School of Hollywood. Hi, I'm Steve Owens of School of Hollywood, and I'd like to remind you of School of Hollywood podcasts is everywhere. Tell your friends where you love to listen to it and invite five of your entertainment friends to it. Very excited to have Ashley Tamar Davis with us today. Ashley, how are you? I am good. I'm a little sleepy coming from off a flight, but I'm good. Great. Um, so you started in the business at a very young age in a girls group called Time. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, I was in a group called Girls Time that later became known as Destiny's Child. And I, we were young, like 9, 10, and 11. And we were typical girls, slumber parties. We did Star Search. There's footage floating around of that. We did, back in that time, we did a lot of conventions, you know, expos and and uh, performances at pageants. And But we were typical girls, girls from Houston, Texas. There was six of us, Beyonce, Kelly, me, Latavia, and then Nikki and Nina were our dancers. And I mean, that was my first time recording in a studio, getting on a plane and recording with other girls and honing my craft with like hearing notes and staying on my notes. So it was a good time. It was a good time. But you didn't continue with uh, Destiny's Child. What happened there? Was it uh, uh, conflict of the girls or something? No, just managerial, just a lot of conflict of interest. Um, it was just a lot of back and forth with who would manage the group after Ann Tillman died. She was our manager and I, I believe she passed the lupus. And it was just a lot of back and forth about who's going to take control of the group and the fairness of it. You know, it was just too much back and forth. The girls had nothing to do with it. It was really just the parents going back and forth and trying to find a middle ground. And it just was too one-sided. And so my parents decided to take me out and I continued my education and, and went on to go to high school for the performing and visual arts and then ended up going to university of Southern California, Thornton school of music. Fantastic. You're also a Grammy nominated artist. Uh, what was that for? Nominated for a duet that I wrote and performed with with Prince Rogers Nelson's called Prince Rogers Nelson, <laughs> Beautiful, Loved and Blessed. And that story was just like, I mean, we would be here for days talking about that. But we were well into recording his album for 3121. And he I actually walked into the studio. We were in Minneapolis and I walked into Paisley Park and Kirk was in there, his former drummer was playing a drum loop. And Prince was like, do you like it? I said, yeah. He was like, do you hear anything that you could write to it? And we were in studio A, the big studio. And I just kind of started humming a melody and ended up putting words, you know, beautiful, loved and blessed. And from there, he was like, do you want to write it? And I said, okay. And long story short, I was in studio B and I forego snacks and lunch and dinner to get the perfect lyrics. And Prince would come and check on me and hear the lyrics and he challenged me to go deeper and thought with the lyrics and finally when he heard my verse he was just like that's it he was like let's go record it and then the very next day I walk in the studio and he's in the booth and recording the song well I take that back he was in the console room and he says um I want this song for my album and I was like no you're not you know what I mean I was like you gotta pay me and you know we had a whole <laughs> falling out and finally he said he said well what will it take for me to have this song on my album I said well listen give me my royalties and um I want to hear your verse and he was like would you want to record me because at that time I was kind of recording beginning of my album Milk and Honey and because I went to USC, shout out to the Trojans, I knew how to record myself on that analog um, console. And so I was recording myself on my own project. And so he actually asked me to record his 
his vocals. So he went into the booth and he was like, do you like it in the low register and the high register? And it was just an emotional moment because I was like, am I literally audio engineering Prince's vocals on a song that I wrote? And he sang his verse in the, uh, in the upper register. And I was like, nah, don't like that one. And as soon as he sang his verse in his natural register, I just had tears rolling down my eyes. And that's how the song came to be. I mean, and um, yeah, we got nominated. We lost the category, but um, it was such an honor to be at that pre-telecast and see, you know, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis to Ike Turner was alive at the time and seeing all the engineers and the people who really make the albums and the records come to life. And that actually was the initiation to what I really wanted to do long term was just being in that room with with all of those um, behind the scenes um, icons. So, yeah, that is awesome. Did you ever get a chance to work with uh, Andre Simone, his cousin? Oh, my gosh. So so let me tell you. OK, so I'm an 80s baby. We did. We weren't raised on. Prince. I heard more of Barbara Streisand, Sting, ACDC, Whitney Houston, you know, um, Tower Power. That's what we heard in my house. Gospel, a lot of gospel. And so Prince, my story of knowing Prince and anyone who worked with him was very minimal, right? So I was really green once I joined and started working with him. And so Andre Simone and I met for the first time in 2019. And it wasn't until I got to Australia. No, was it Japan? I think it was Australia. And it was Australia. It was the Byron's Bay Blues Fest. Here's this guy coming in. He's fly. He looks like Prince's little brother. Never knew who he was until way after we left Australia. And I was like, oh, my God, that was Andre Simone, you know. And I performed with him not knowing who he was. His energy is by far just like it just exudes out of his pores. I actually have photos in my phone of uh, professional photographers taking photos of us. And it's a memory that I will never forget. And I actually, I like the fact that I didn't know who he was. Like I just revered his gifts and his talent on stage, his musicianship. He was very cordial. His wife was cordial. I just was like, who is this guy? He's so cool. And then one day he started telling stories of like being in Prince's house as a child, but I never put two and two that they were relatives until weeks later. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that was Andre <laughs> Simone, you know, but he is, he's like one of my favorites. He's uh, one of my favorites. Well, I actually got an opportunity to, uh, we produced a record together. Uh, we did a remake on, actually, we were trying to find the, the right singer for it on redoing uh, uh, Looking for a New Love in the Jody Watley record. And, I'm looking for a new, I love that song. And you're, you know, you were bringing up the fact of the uh, uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, uh, you know, that sound, you know, it still continues on today, you know, with the 808s and 909s. Um, and it's it's one of those things that you just go, yes, 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 yes. I want to feel that. I want to feel that beaten kind of thing. Let's go back to the studio for a minute. Uh, what is your favorite board to work on? And what's your favorite uh, mic you love to sing on? So I'm a Neumann um, in the, the studio. I forgot what number it is, what series it is, but I actually am sponsored by Earthworks Audio. So I love their two microphones. Um, but I also love Sennheiser. It's one of my favorites live. Um, and then the boards, I don't know the board that I worked on at Paisley Park. I would have to find that out, but it was so massive. It was very, I, I brought my college education to the table because it literally looked like the same board from USC. So I would have to find out what name of that board is. Now I do everything Pro Tools, of course, and Logic. 
But mm-hmm. at the time it was a, it was an analog. It was just um, old school tape, everything. You know, I was taping, like putting the tape on the machine and, you know, but I have to find out what board that was actually. Uh, actually, you've got a new album that's coming out and not only are you releasing a regular digital, but you also have 200 limited editions. So you're actually going back to those analog days. And what's interesting is uh, a lot of the recording studios are getting rejuvenated with that sound that uh, you can't get with the current Pro Tools. I'm a Pro Tool fan, so I play with it all the time. But having that console, mixing it through there with the Pro Tools, there's a certain warmness that you don't get with the strict digital. Would you agree? I totally agree. It's something gritty about it. Um, even when I listen to new records and I, you know, I applaud all all artistry and all artists, but when it comes to the monotone and the actual actual post-production, it just makes me cringe. So I like the rawness of what um, vinyl brings. And I don't even think tape, you know, cassette tapes do it. You know, vinyl has a rawness to it that I just feel like it doesn't dumb down my natural quality and tone and timber my voice so nothing compares to to vinyl i cannot wait to get a vinyl in my hands and just play it on a record player like i don't know what i'm gonna do when i when i listen to it for the first time yeah actually i was uh, gifted a couple uh, uh vinyls and it turns out one of them is actually now worth about 500 bucks not even a year later uh wow. so it, it is a hot trend right now with the with the vinyl and i see that uh you're going to be going out on the road with uh stuart copelson and i have a great story behind that uh there was a senior vice president of atlantic records excuse me of AM records named charlie minor uh, he unfortunately has passed away he was a senior vp of of AM records and he sent me an advanced copy said you can't, you can't play this. You can't play this. And I'm like, you, you're going to send me something. I'm going to play it. <laughs> so yeah. it was every breath you take. And, oh. and I was one of the very first in the United States to actually play it on the radio when I was programming radio. And from that, I received a uh, uh, platinum album uh, for the record. Uh, so are you going to be singing any of the police tracks when you're out on the road with Stuart? It's all police, baby. Like every breath you take. Um, Every little thing she does is magic. We're doing Demolition Man. We're doing, uh, um, oh my gosh, I have the sheet music right here. We're doing Wait, Walking in Your Footsteps, Roxanne, Roxanne. Um, one world is enough. Um, bed's too big without you. We're doing it all. So it's with the orchestra. We start with San Diego Orchestra. I think Cleveland is already there. I just, I'm like on cloud nine. I cannot wait to meet Stuart and, the whole team like i'm excited it's great yeah are you gonna show are they gonna show any kind of video clips in the background because every time i think of roxanne i go back to the scene with eddie murphy and, and nick nolte in the movie as he's singing it in jail and driving everybody oh. crazy off key uh, oh yeah 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 i i think we're definitely going to have a lot of behind the scenes i know they're going to do a lot of social media so that's going to be cool um but yeah it's like you know from prince to Stuart Copeland. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to feel yet. <laughs> well, you, you have been very successful within the music business, but I heard you actually had to be pushed by Tyler Perry to be on The Voice. Is that true? So true. I am so, I just, I mean, Mr. Perry talked to me about that for years and I just kept saying, Mr. Perry, I don't, I just don't, I don't, 
I was nervous. People don't know that I'm very shy. So when it comes to competition, I'm the one that's like, I don't want to do it. I would rather opt out because I know there's always going to be people better and people, whatever, whatever. I just feel like when you have such true gifts for anyone, I don't feel like there's a, a, a scale that you can rate it on, you know? And so I just rather not hear an eight or a 10 or a two or a five and just, you know, keep honing in my craft and to feel like I have to get better because I got an eight or I need to be better than a 10 because I got a 10. Like it's a psychological thing that I put myself through. And finally I was on the road with Motown and musical, the Broadway show. And I got a call. I actually was in San Diego, ironically. And the call came in like, Hey, you know, Mr. Perry really wants to see you on the show. How can we help you? And that's how it happened. Wow. So yeah, he had to give me the push. <laughs> so I, I heard that he also came and watched you on the show. He did. It was such a shock because I didn't know. And I walked down the runway and there he was. And I was just like, what? I kept saying, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Um, so that, you know, and I look back at the footage, and I'm like, really, Mr. Perry came to see me, you know, do this show. I, I you know, I'm speechless. I've been very fortunate and and blessed to persevere in this industry because there's been moments where I just didn't care you know and so it's great to see those landmarks happen in your life and and they give you that jolt of confidence and assurance and confirmation and that was one of those moments for me who have been some of your mentors in the business obviously Prince and and now uh, Tyler Perry but has there been anybody else and what advice would you say they gave you that really has stuck in your brain you know, it's crazy. I don't, I never had the sit down conversations advice, right? It really starts with my parents. My parents, to this day, they're my go-tos for anything. If I'm going through anything, they're the ones that are going to give me that sound advice. So I would have to always say my parents, but I tell a lot of people, the unsung heroes are my teachers from school. To this day, Patricia Bonner, Carol Nelson, um, Rob Seibel from high school, USC was Chris Sampson. To this day, I do a lot of projects with Chris Sampson. Now I'm working with Don Soler at ABC, um, who mentored me into music supervision. So those to me have been my mentors. I would say the biggest thing that I've learned is you just have to really be prepared at all times, you know, and don't ever feel like you can't do something just because you may not know the details. Just, just say like, hey, I may not know it, but I'll learn it and learn it, you know, and really stick to your word is one of the biggest things that I've seen in all of them, you know, whether it was an audition, you know, knowing my music by heart and making sure I was rehearsing or with Prince. Prince was one of those people that said all the time, live music will never die. You know, when this social media stuff picks up, the real true artists that will stand the test of time are those that can perform live. And he is, he was absolutely right you know he was the one that made sure that my original music was just as funky as the classics from Rufus and Shaka to the Funkadelics right mm -hmm. he didn't people felt like Prince was a perfectionist but I don't I don't think he was a perfectionist more so than a genius in the the respect of if you revered something then you should use that as your threshold of how good you want your music to be it, it was it was just very interesting. Prince would just talk and you just had to tap into, OK, he's teaching something. You know, it wasn't like, hey, take out a pen and learn this. You know, he took me to his meetings when he negotiated. He showed me how he negotiated, why he negotiated the way he did. And he didn't do it on behalf of himself. And that's the biggest thing that I learned from all my mentors. They never did things for themselves. It really was for people coming after them. 
And so um, that's what I do, even with my initiatives, Sign Arts Academy, the College Career and Empowerment Summit, with my workbook and my book and the creative masterclasses that I teach now. Like I am, I don't sugarcoat anything. I'm going to be brutal and honest. And I learned that from my mentors. And I feel like it's really sustained me a lot, you know? <laughs> One of the things that uh, we run into in Hollywood, and, and part of the reason it's called Hollywood, is to actually set people on the right path. And one of the things that I always tell singers is you need to get the proper training and that is get a vocal coach, start to work with them. So, you, you know, when you go in the studio, you're not spending thousands of dollars on retake, 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 um, you know, learn the techniques. Um, did you have a, a particular vocal coach that you love to work with, or is that one of the things you're actually doing now? So, I hands down have two strong vocal coaches that I have to give all props to. Well, three, David Brewer, who started with the group Girls Time, Destiny's Child. He was my first introduction to opera and seeing a black man in opera. Um, my training started in opera. I hated going to voice lessons at the time, though. But then it wasn't until I started working with Seth Riggs is where my vocals started to expand into my upper register. I really started to master the connection from the lower register to the upper register. And then I'm forever grateful for Vicky Muto from USC. I mean, my voice just got stronger and stronger with her. And um, yeah, the the craft is is you can't just think, oh, I'm just going to be a singer. There's a presence about it. There's a storyline to every song. There's something that comes from inside that exudes to the outside. You know, like they some people call it the it factor, but I I call it like really knowing your story so it gets across. And um and then I'm a theater. You know, I I do, did a lot of theater, so I had to break that fourth wall a lot with theater as far as like getting outside of myself and getting into that character. So I feel like that's another thing that I feel a lot of singers should really do is take a lot of acting classes. And it amazes me when I do my creative classes, a lot of the, the high school kids today or young adults, they, they don't even consider it. And I'm like, do you know, singing and theater are like interchangeable, you know? So, um, but yeah, I would give props to those three strong uh, vocal teachers. Yeah. Seth Riggs uh, and his daughter I've sent, uh, I can't tell you how many people I've sent to, uh, because in my opinion, he's the best in the business. Uh, and, you know, they, they, what people have gone in and what they came out with has just been phenomenal as far as work. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, it's Ashley Tamar Music on Instagram. But if you go to my Instagram, my link tree is there. So it has like my website. You, when in doubt, you can always Google AshleyTamar.com and everything is on there. My link tree, my IMDb, Twitter, you know, you name it. It's all on there. Well, Ashley, uh, I want to thank you for coming on School of Hollywood today. And I know you just got off a plane and it's been wonderful talking with you and, and look forward to hearing your new music that is coming out uh, around the corner here. What's the name of the album? It's called My Name is Ashley. And by the way, some of the songs are an ode to the 80s, 90s Minneapolis sounds. I cannot wait for you to hear them. Like, Ooh. seriously. Yeah, no, we, we took some of those sounds and brought them to life. We have Mono Neon on the project with Jelly Bean, you know, Jelly Bean Johnson from the original MPG and Flight Time, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. We have Jason Moran, Eric Harlan, Mark Kelly. So it's, it's a real musician's record. <laughs> I have to be very honest this time around. So, yeah. Fantastic. I look forward to listening to it. And once again, yeah. thank you for being on the School of Hollywood. <laughs> 